I think it's a great time to be interested in the dairy industry and being a part of it as it continues to evolve and, and change and, and um, certainly new challenges coming with environmental pressures and societal pressures on, on animal welfare and well-being. So I, I think there's new opportunities as well as the, the more traditional opportunities that have existed for a while. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like R Yeast 40, Ruminal and Intestinal Double Modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Exelite by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Maximize profitability and herd health with early detection in animal health, reproduction, calving, and feeding. The most advanced bolus technology and professional support from agricultural experts makes this possible. SmaxTech, the health system that future-proofs your operation. Good day and welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show. Um, it's a pleasure today to have uh, Professor of Animal Science, Dr. Jim Drakeley from the University of Illinois here with us today. And uh, Jim has a, a long career and noted background in, in the dairy industry, working in um, a number of different areas. Uh, certainly very well recognized for his, his work in uh, nutrition, certainly the transition cow and, and also the, the calf feeding. So, uh, Jim, welcome today. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to have you. So, if you can give a bit of a background of, uh, you know, where you started in the, in the dairy industry and, and how you got to uh, what you're working on today uh, with your role in the university. So, I, I grew up on a, a small dairy farm, very small dairy farm in Minnesota, kind of got involved in the dairy industry that way, um, had a, a small herd of Guernsey cattle, actually, with my brother and and um, kind of gradually moved out of that as I went to college and then on into graduate school at, at South Dakota State University and then on for my PhD at Iowa State. Um, after that, I, I had the chance to join the faculty at the University of Illinois and I've been there ever since. It's been over uh, uh, about 34 years now. So role has been uh, research and teaching and also doing a lot of interaction with the industry through speaking and, and consulting and, and so on. So I've, I've, um, I've really had a, an exciting career, have the good fortune to be able to, to see dairy farms around the world. And, um, and that's, that's been a, a great experience. And it's interesting to me that dairy cows are the same wherever you are in the world. And, and the farmers are the same, too. It's just uh, differences in culture and, and uh, the, you know, the local characteristics. But it, there's a lot of commonality around the world in the, the dairy industry. 
Now, it's great to hear you say that. Uh, you, we often, uh, as we work internationally, uh, sometimes producers will comment, well, you know, that, that won't work here or what have you. And, and certainly there are geographic and, and obviously temperature climate differences. But, you know, I always say the cow is the cow. She's, she's not a Chinese cow or a Mexican cow or an Italian cow. She's a Holstein and probably this will work the same way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what we've found. Certainly a lot of the a lot of the same practices that we've been working on here seem to work just as well in other parts of the world and, and things that we bring back from from uh, uh, somewhere else should work here as well. It's just um, trying to fit it into the local system and, and make the management work. Well, thanks, Jim. Um, given this this background, uh, you know, at the university, um, what split of your time, I'm sure that's evolved over over the time, has been, you know, teaching and working directly with uh, the students and then research? Yeah, so my, my official appointment is 75% research, but I think it's evolved more now to where it's, it's uh, probably a little closer to 50-50 uh, teaching and research. So I, I teach um, um, part of a, an undergraduate ruminant nutrition class, and I teach the lactation biology class, and then a, a part of a, a graduate nutrition um, uh, protein and energy class as well. So it's uh, it's a fairly even split of my time, I think, now between research activities and, and teaching. So it, uh, I know we likely have some young folks out there uh, still in, in the university or, or looking at maybe postgraduate uh, education. Um, before we get into some of your specific cow topics, if you will, what would be a word of uh, wisdom to the to the younger generation there that are preparing for their career in dairy? You know, you've certainly seen an evolution of young people for more than 30 years. Um, so I, that's an amazing perspective from an educator standpoint. Well, I think it's a really exciting time to be coming into agriculture in general. Um, you know, just we, we've talked about the demographics and so on, the, the expanding world population and the need to to increase food production so dramatically over the next, uh, you know, 30 to 40 years. Um, so I think it's it's a pretty, pretty wide open time in terms of opportunity. The, the dairy industry is, is continuing to change and consolidate, but I think there's, you know, there's going to be a turnover of uh, some of us older folks here in the next few years and, and um, a lot of room in the industry for young people to come in and, and make their own careers. So I think it's a, it's a good time. There's, there's jobs available. Um, um, I, I, I think it's a great time to be interested in the dairy industry and being a part of it as it continues to evolve and, and change and, and um, certainly new challenges coming with environmental pressures and societal pressures on, on animal welfare and well-being. So I, I think there's new opportunities as well as the, the more traditional opportunities that have existed for a while. So it sounds like adaptability to change is, is is a real important. I mean, for not only for young folks, for for those uh, on the other end of our career also, but uh, uh, being relevant in any industry, but a, a, uh, specifically the dairy industry, certainly requires that need to to be able to change. Yeah, that's one thing. You know, we we can't teach our students the specifics of a, a job that they're going to go into, but we try to teach them to be 
well-rounded and and uh, able to learn and continue to learn and change and adapt over their careers. So I think the ones that are able to do that will have a long career in, and uh, a, a successful and rewarding career in the dairy industry. Well, thanks for those comments on, on the education side, uh, Jim. Um, so uh, we, we caught up uh, briefly this morning before we connected. And as I mentioned, your your, your publications, your uh, career is, is, is well noted in the industry. But uh, maybe let's start with, with transition cows. Uh, you know, over the years, there's obviously been a huge change and, and shift from the philosophy when I first started in, uh, in, in dairy practice and nutrition of, of a steam-up ration. And then you know controlled energy, low energy. Uh, so you know what are what are some some of the things that you've worked on and that you're currently working on that would uh, bring some current and new recommendations to those folks uh, feeding cattle? Yeah, well, as you say, um, when I first started out in my research career, it was the kind of the the conventional wisdom was to use the steam up approach before calving. Um, our our research, we got into it. Um, Kind of in a, a back doorway, we, we were interested at the time in whether we could add some body condition to cows who were, were generally thin at that time. Um, so we looked at, at increasing energy intake during the dry period to see if we could restore some body condition and actually found that the cows that we um, unintentionally restricted quite a bit in nutrient intake uh, did the best, had the least fat accumulation in their liver and so on. So we, through subsequent experiments, had had defined that it was the controlling the energy intake that was the the positive factor there. So that's that's kind of evolved into the the Goldilocks idea of the the um, high straw rations. And I think that you know the kind of the take home message from our years of research is that we want to be really careful about. Uh, getting energy intake down, particularly in the far-off dry period, um, to to enable a steam-up approach to work. Um, you know, with our larger farms and corn silage as the dominant forage, it's very easy to overfeed energy to cows during the dry period. And our research, as well as as from a number of groups now around the world, is pretty clear that that excessive energy in the far-off dry period um, kind of predisposes the cow to a lot of metabolic changes that we think are, are unfavorable after calving. So making them more prone to ketosis, uh, fatty liver, and, and subsequent diseases that will, will occur from, from those types of predisposing factors. So that's been, the, I think, the, the real key contribution that we've made is identifying that overfeeding of energy as a, a, a real risk factor for problems after calving. So, you know, certainly I uh, believe there's still a bit, you know, that information has has gotten into the industry, but there's still a, a bit of a misconception of the ideal body condition score at dry off. And, you know, as, as there's uh, more research in this area, uh, especially a number of groups looking at the high fertility cycle and, you know, those cows that dry off at a, uh, a more controlled body condition and don't have that body condition score change post calving are, are, you know, healthier and therefore, you know, breed back quicker and have another lactation. But, uh, you know, just around some of the sp specific uh, recommendations for body condition, 
I think it'd be useful to potentially share with the audience here as, as there's still that concept that, you know, we, we, we maybe in plenty of herds, we still see cows that would be over conditioned, uh, you know, at dry off or during that transition period. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, um, it's kind of coming together now with the idea of the, uh, the high fertility cycle that, um, we want to ca- have cows dry off and calve at about a 3-0 condition score on a five-point scale. Uh, certainly a little thinner than we than we used to think about, but um, you know there's been some good work from from Phil Garnsworthy in in England that showed that cows, uh, if they gain body condition before calving, they will lose that after calving. And regardless of where they go into the, the lactation, they kind of come down to the same or come to the same body condition score at about 12 to 16 weeks into lactation. So um, it's, it's very clear now that if we add body condition, cows have more body condition coming into calving, that they're going to lose that body condition in early lactation. Um, and... Um, you know, the, the excessive rates of body condition loss certainly are, are negatively correlated with reproduction and, and good fertility. So um, there's, there's really no good reason to have that extra body condition. It, it doesn't benefit milk production, uh, and the cows are, are just going to lose it. It goes into to milk fat production in the, the very early period. So one of the, the misconceptions I think that people have, have gotten into is that, uh, well, my cows are going to lose that body condition after calving, so I should put more on. And so they like to have a, a heavier cow at calving. But again, if the condition score or condition is there, the cows are going to lose it. And that that's going to contribute to metabolic problems and uh, and the, the um, suboptimal reproductive success. So I think the, the idea of calving cows at a, at a bit thinner body condition score, not having them lose as much, or even um, there's been some recent trials that have shown that some cows actually gain body condition over the first few weeks of calving. Um, and that that um, fertility then is, is much improved and we get into a more sustainable cycle where we don't have cows Get, uh, losing excessive body condition, becoming really thin, and then not breeding back, and then those cows are more likely to become overconditioned then due to the long calving interval. So, you know, the the, the best solution seems to be to work to calve cows at about a three condition score. They'll maybe lose up to a half a condition score unit in early lactation, but then uh, enables them to to still uh, breed back and um and maintain that calving interval so we don't deal with with fat cows at the the end of lactation and certainly we we would see more of that 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 shift overall but i think uh, you know in the industry still still a lot of opportunity there to to educate the producers and and you know some nutritionists because uh, again that that you know, three three for for a lot of folks is just that that uh, that's a thin cow going into a dry period when when really that should be you know the ideal athlete of a cow that we want to see. Um, Jim, you you you're doing some work in in uh, the area of in the past and and currently uh, feeding amino acids and certainly you know I I uh, always look back as I as I speak to. Uh, uh, 
students and, and younger folks and say, you know, gee, when I first started doing uh, some nutrition work in the in the in dairy uh, as a young veterinarian, uh, the the forage analysis report was, you know, maybe a, a half or or three quarters of a page at, at most, and you know, the font just got smaller and smaller, and you know, we have more and more parameters that we can evaluate. Um, as that's transitioned, obviously the ability to to balance for amino acids and and, and more precision feeding. Um, you know, so what what are some of your uh, your current research projects, and then and then within that, some of the recommendations uh, as we look to fine tuning, you know, protein feeding, if you will. Yeah. So we've done um, several studies in our in our group, my colleagues and I, with feeding amino acids before calving in the close up period. And research is pretty clear that supplementing methionine, trying to balance methionine uh, to obtain a, a lysine to methionine ratio of, of about uh, even as low as 2.6 to 1, really seems to benefit the cows, not only in terms of intake and production, but some of the metabolic outcomes, um, antioxidant functions, and so on that, that we think are pretty important in that transition cow. Um, currently, we're working on a project to look at amino acid supplementation in the fresh cow ration, um, looking at both methionine and lysine supplementation and, and the, the ratios between methionine and lysine in the fresh cow. Uh, it's our hypothesis that the uh, lysine supply in particular really drives cows towards peak milk early in, uh, very early in lactation. And so we're, we're looking at that lysine, uh, lysine and methionine effect on, on milk production and other various uh, 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 metabolic and, and inflammatory functions and so on. That's, that's kind of where our current focus is. Okay. And Jim, um, when you say other functions, um, maybe an opportunity to explore that a, a little bit more. Uh, you know, colostrum quantity obviously comes up in lots of different discussions, colostrum quality, and then the, the, the long-term effects um, on the calves. You know, we, we know that uh, heat stress, for example, uh, in the dry period can, can negatively affect the, uh, uh, that calf and that calf's future uh, calves. You know, so, so lots of interrelationships here. Um, what are some of the other, you know, milk production pays for that product and, and we need to demonstrate that, that it's economical. But what are some of the other areas, you know, including immune health, inflammation that you're um, investigating? Yeah. So my colleague Juan Lohr has shown in a couple of experiments that uh, calves born to mothers that were supplemented with methionine actually had greater uh, growth rates during the first eight weeks after, after birth than the calves from non-supplemented mothers. So we think there's some, uh, some epigenetic effects that are working there with uh, increased or improved methionine supply and changing the, uh, some of the, the functions, the gene expression and so on of, of the calves before calving that impacts their, their growth performance after calving. Um, we have quite a bit of information accumulating on the, the reproductive effects of amino acid supplementation as well. My, my other colleague, Phil Cardoso, uh, has shown some, some benefits in, in uh, uterine, uterine structure and function. And a um, uh, study at Wisconsin showed um, improvements in, 
in reproductive efficiency from amino acid supplementation. So certainly there's that side. And then, as I mentioned, there's a whole um, uh, area that we're exploring related to inflammation and, and uh, the antioxidant roles of methionine through, through glutathione formation and um, uh, some of the, the positive impacts on the, the immune system as well. So it seems to be a, a very critical amino acid, not just for its role in milk protein synthesis, but in, in uh, synthesis of various other compounds and pathways that are uh, that are important in getting that cow off to a good start and enabling reproduction uh, to to uh, return as well. Pretty exciting area. So you know, and that's uh, those are all really exciting areas. I think as we look at the ability to to fine tune feeding from the uh, economic side, but then in the, in the same um, process, improving production, improving fertility, improving long-term outcomes. Um, Jim, in your, in your research and your projects, <clears throat> you know, um, obviously over the years, you, you've come across products and technologies that, that, that have a benefit, those that are neutral and, and those that perhaps maybe even are detrimental, um, i.e. having fat cows. Um, what, what are some of the things you do from the economic modeling side of, uh, okay, this product works, but now we, we need to look at the economics of, of feeding this. Can you, can you give the audience a little overview and, and also the importance of that, right? Yeah, biologically it works, but what are the economics of, uh, of related to this recommendation? Right. Certainly there's a lot of different products aimed at the transition period. And, um, you know, a lot of them have pretty good data backing them up. But um, again, if we used all of them, it would it would make the, the ration prohibitively expensive to feed. So. And the cow would be making uh, 120 pounds of milk, right? Is, is the is the joke, right? <laughs> the added the additive effect of all these products, right? That's right. Um, so some of the things that we've looked at, um, choline is is a product that we've tested a couple times, and and not in our experiments, not showed uh, a, a positive effect, but certainly there's a pretty good body of research showing that that choline has benefits to the the transition. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that's a, that's a fairly expensive product, but in herds that, that, uh, are struggling with, with metabolic disorders and so on after calving it, it, it can have a role. Um, the amino acids, we're trying to get people to think of them not as additives, but as nutrients that need to be balanced for. So I kind of put them in a, in a nutrition side that, that certainly we want to be balancing for amino acids. Um, uh, you know, other things we've looked at include uh, chelated minerals, and certainly we feel that they have a role in uh, in trace mineral nutrition during the the transition. Um, uh, the the DCAD balancing is is has returned in emphasis. I think over the last few years, kind of um, swung out of favor a little bit. Um, I, I think, like a lot of things. Um, People tinker with the, the application and, and don't always follow a, a strict protocol on, on something like the DCAD management. And I think um, some of the work that's come across here in the last few years has brought back the just how, how efficacious the balancing for or DCAD can be in preventing hypocalcemia and the, the related problems. 
Um, but but it is a protocol that has to be implemented appropriately, and and that includes monitoring pH um, weekly. So, you know, if producers are not going to dedicate the the time and labor to being able to to document or or follow, make sure that the program is working, then then it's um, it's probably not going to be successful for them. Um, oh gosh, what what else? Um, um yeah i mean those are the the main pro, main uh um compounds that we've dealt with over the years yeast culture we've looked at um in an older experiment and with some positive effects on intake and production um yeah i think those are the main ones that we've worked on so jim it's obvious uh you know if you if you uh Query your publications, uh, you know. Then, that, then it's obvious. But j just from our discussion here, your 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 list of uh, you know from chelated minerals, amino acids to just managing uh, energy and, and and body condition, uh, a, a very well versed um, career um, and continued uh, in 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 research of that transition cow. Um, it really sounds like. Uh, certainly new and innovative technologies, but uh, and, and some feeding strategies, but really just then also the getting back to the basics and just making sure you you feed that cow correctly and manage her body condition, and then the rest all comes naturally, if you will, the the fertility, the milk, and so forth. And uh, I I think uh, that's the uh, w what perhaps I see is the ability to in those herds that have reached you know that that. Uh, high-end potential and and got all the basics dialed in then some of these other other strategies then become the next place to investigate uh right but but if if you don't have those things in place perhaps amino acid balancing is is going to be uh not the bottleneck on your on your farm it's it's getting everything else right so that you can see the benefit the economic benefit and the production benefit from these strategies yeah that's that's absolutely right we need to get those basics in place first before we, we worry about fine tuning. So um, then going to the, to the young animal, um, some of your work is in that, uh, that young calf, that milk fed calf, obviously also lots of transition. You know, the, 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 the joke was that, you know, calf feeding, uh, you know, certainly 20 years ago came in a bag. It was whatever was in the bag. And I recall when the, a bunch of the manufacturers just made the the cup bigger and lots of producers didn't know and all of a sudden they were feeding more total solids because the the, the cup got bigger um, we've transitioned from that hugely to ration balancing programs that have calf models and and fine-tuning calf feeding and, and calf starters um, what are some of your uh, your recommendations and, and current research in, in the calf area yeah so it, um, we were involved many years ago in, in introduction of the, the idea of accelerated calf feeding. And that's, um, that's kind of, of morphed now into just more solids feeding in general. And I, I think if we look at the, uh, the last NOMS survey, the, the average intake was about, um, uh, uh, the average intake of solids was about um, 560 grams per day, so um, a pound and a, a little more than a pound and a quarter of solids per day. 
So the, the average has moved up, which means that a lot of people are feeding more than that. And I think the, uh, the, the average liquid amount that was being fed was about 5.7 uh, liters per day or 5.7 quarts, roughly. So we're, we are seeing, more, uh, are seeing more solids being fed, and I think that's certainly the move in the, the right direction. We, we need to remember that that calf is a, a functioning monogastric at birth. Uh, designed to use milk solids, and there's a, a huge growth potential in that first two or three weeks that we're that we're uh, historically haven't taken advantage of. And I, I think a lot of producers are are seeing that now in terms of of what their calves look like when they feed more milk, and the the long term benefits in in a better heifer, a better cow that result from that better early nutrition. It's not just the growth rate, but again, there's a there's a period after birth when the the calf is still developmentally plastic, where it, it can be shaped and and the the long term performance of that animal can be impacted by the the plane of nutrition there in in the first four weeks of life or so. Um, so I, I think that um, we are seeing much more in the industry now. It's been been kind of gratifying just the last. Oh, five years even, um, the, the change in, in producers feeding more milk. Um, so then that, that leads into the, the strategies of how to wean and prepare the rumen. And there's been a lot of, of good work uh, coming out of, of uh, University of Guelph and some other places looking at um, kind of the, the transition and when should we wean. Um, you know, when, when you and I were in in school, the, the early weaning pressure was still very much uh, in vogue. And uh, now we see producers lengthening the, the time of milk feeding, weaning later, which makes that weaning transition much easier. And I think that in particular, if we're going to feed large amounts of milk, so six to eight uh, uh, liters per day, um, uh, the extending the weaning period over two to three weeks instead of abrupt or even over one week has been very successful and not weaning until eight or nine weeks of age, which, you know, again, is a huge shift from um, kind of the push that, that existed 20 years ago for very early weaning. Um, Starter formulation is another big area. The, the feed manufacturers have kind of had the corner on that market, but there's been some, uh, some more recent research that kind of gets back to basics on that and looking at possible shifts in starter formulation that may be more in line with what the calf is, is naturally prepared to do. So um, quite, a bit of, um, quite a bit of excitement and, and still room to to make some improvements yet in the, the way we raise early uh, young calves. Can you comment a bit? Uh, I think one area that's, uh, you know, still lots of room for, for change from what we would see would be uh, some of the starch levels in, in calf starters. Um, you know, there's, there's still plenty of room in all the areas, but I think fine tuning the, the milk feeding volume solids and so forth um, is certainly in the right direction, but uh, I guess we still see some uh, folks challenging the the recommendations of, of some of the older uh, formulations. You know, very high in starch for these uh, young calves. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's 
it's unusual that we've kind of grown accustomed to starch levels in calf starters that are 35% or sometimes even higher. And, and, you know, none of us, I think, would would um, feed that level of starch to a lactating cow, much less, uh, you know, a baby calf with an undeveloped rumen. Um, so I, I think there's been some pretty good work. Um, Mike Van Amberg, for example, at Cornell has, has looked at some alternative formulations that are uh, maybe in the mid-20s for starch and, and more um, uh, digestible fiber, high sugar, and, you know, if we think about the way that, that a, a calf would wean naturally, if it was with its mother on grass, it would have intakes of, of a very highly digestible, you know, lush grass. So very digestible fiber, a lot of sugar. Um, sugar ferments to butyric acid, which is the major driver of rumen papillae development in the, the rumen. So you know, some of those shifts to high sugar, lower starch, more digestible and soluble fibers, I think are, are real positives. And we need to continue to examine that as a, a way to get calves on a, a better, uh, better plane of dry feed intake early in life uh, and help make that weaning process a little bit smoother. I think that's an area of real opportunity yet. Yeah, I, I would agree also as, you know, we work with uh with our client groups, um, <clears throat> we certainly see more of the range, and I, I think that's you know really interesting when we look at f- uh, perhaps balancing lactating diets. You know, you can go across various geographic areas, and obviously there's ingredient differences um, and some nutrient profile differences. But if you look across the industry in general, feeding the adult cow and even the, the dry cow transition cow it is is fairly similar, you know, with, with some variation, obviously. But if you look at, across the industry in terms of calf feeding, it's really such a um, a, a variation in terms of, uh, you know, really a, a low cost feeding calves, low volumes of milk, and and getting onto a starter intake really quickly. To <clears throat> as you said, perhaps maybe even changing to a <clears throat> eight plus week weaning, um, gradual weaning, and so forth. So. I guess I always tend to think when there's lots of variation, um, either the industry's lagging or we we don't quite have all the information to to make the you know the 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 final recommendation. Right, right. There's a lot of ways to feed a calf. Obviously, the you know the early weaning and and um, uh, limited milk intake programs can be successful. Good producers have been making those work for many years, but the the question has become what are we leaving on the table by growing calves that way rather than uh, feeding them a little bit more in the the way that that nature intended them to be fed? Yeah, and then certainly, again, back to those economics, um, I, I believe the the data is, you know, very clear, uh, you know, more than more than 10 plus trials looking at the future milk, right? So um, I, hopefully, you know, we, we have health and, uh, you know, development of the immune system and so forth. But I think that's, that's the economic driver. Okay. These animals are, are, are more productive. Um, so, you know, con- continued as, as we uh, look into future research, uh, you know, really fine tuning all of those areas and, and where the, the economic benefit is. 
Well, well, Jim, it, uh, certainly um, discussion here, we, we can probably uh, create five or six more podcasts on, on any one of those uh, uh, topics to dig into further uh, uh, mineral balance, uh, transition rations, uh, energy balance, what have you, calf feeding and, and amino acids. So, you know, lots of lots of different strategies um that that can be utilized some obviously are, are solid recommendations others are uh things that are you know still to come research and 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 knowing what the what future opportunities are so encourage the audience to stay tuned um you know certainly journal of dairy science and other publications and, and looking for uh that data to be available to actually uh you know make practical changes on the dairy uh, based on that information it's time for our famous three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt, Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. AB Vista, feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. With early detection in health, reproduction, and feeding, SmaxTech future-proofs your dairy operation. Ivonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Ivonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. DSM strives to bring our customers efficient, profitable dairy solutions. From essential vitamins like HYD and Victus Transition to next generation products like Biofix, our portfolio is growing as we continue to bring innovation to the dairy industry. Visit dsm.com to learn more about our newest solutions. And Jim, you, you've obviously had lots of opportunities, as you mentioned, to travel and, <clears throat> and present um, around the world and, and visit lots of farms, you know, day to day for you, what would be a, a resource to recommend, you know, there's, we, we know of publication lag a lot of times what, you know, what's happening at the university today, um, unless you're maybe presenting it or one of your graduate students maybe doesn't get to the end producer as timely as we'd like. Sometimes it's actually years before that gets published in Journal of Dairy Science and maybe picked up by some of the the, the lay press, you will, or magazines. So what, what's a recommendation to the, these folks about, you know, how to stay on top of what's new in the, in the dairy industry? Yeah, I think the one of the resources that is really valuable is the, the regional nutrition conferences, or for example, the four state uh, program, which is here in Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, or the tri-state or the, the Cornell Nutrition Conference. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of us tend to present our, our most current research that may not be published in a, a scientific journal yet at, at those conferences. And a way to keep track of that is is uh, SPAC, which is a, a service provided by the American Dairy Science Association that that uh, catalogs and allows a searchable. Well, the title stands for Searchable Proceedings of Animal Science Conferences. Um, so that's a, a way that uh, people can stay in tune with with the mo most recent uh, research being presented at those nutrition conferences and other 
other meetings. Um, I, I think the, the, the lay press does a, a pretty good job. Uh, progressive dairymen, um, uh, uh, Dairy Today, Hordes Dairymen, uh, those types of publications still get information out um, relatively quickly as well. So uh, that and, you know, the, the websites for various universities um, often contain more um, extension type publications or, or recent uh, publications that, that can help people stay in, 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 uh, in touch as well. Great. No, those are some excellent um, recommendations. And certainly I know that, you know, the Internet alone has just changed the ability to, uh, you know, what young folks maybe don't realize uh, often is, you know, uh, not having Google at your fingertips, right? Having to go to a university library or, or there was no online to search. It's, 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 it's amazing how we actually got by in, the, in those uh, in those times. <clears throat> and then um, perhaps maybe when you're when you're not connected um, and, uh, and, and working and reading scientific literature, is there, is there something, uh, recently just, uh, to encourage, uh, uh, some folks to, to, uh, read. I actually just, just got by Amazon. My, my good colleague, uh, Pete Ostrom recommended a book, uh, uh, on trails, um, an exploration. I'm really into hiking and backpacking. So I'm anxious to maybe disconnect a little bit and read, but, uh, anything you can, uh, offer the, uh, the listeners here. Well, I I enjoy fishing, and I I'm a model railroad nut, so I I like to read about um, um, read about model railroads, and I, I do enjoy reading. Um, I I like good um, good spy mysteries. I haven't read one recently. I just haven't had the time, but um, I I'd encourage everyone to to do have some some downtime where they're not thinking about cows and and to explore something that's also of interest to them. No, that's a good point. And I think, uh, you know, what I always try to do is I think a lot of those, uh, you know, uh, outside of dairy things we do, whatever it may be, bring us back to dairy or we can relate to. And I, I always uh, joke when, when folks say a, a spy or a mystery, um, really, that's kind of what we do. How many days on the dairy, right? Milk is down, calves are sick. You know, you use some of those same strategies to uh, to uh, solve problem solve on the dairy. You're you're really an investigator, and maybe it's not a murder, but you're trying to figure out why calves are scouring or, or fat is not where you want it. So yeah, very very true. It's a good analogy. And then Jim, you you've seen you know uh, the industry for many years now, as we've mentioned, and and uh, uh, a unique uh, opportunity to then uh, give some comments. You know what what keeps a dairy producer relevant in the industry um, and longevity in, in the industry. Yeah, I think the you know if you look at different farms, the 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 key is is management skill, and and that's very hard to define. But it's one of those things you kind of know when you see it because of the attention to detail and and just establishing systems, protocols that that they and their employees follow on a day-to-day basis that that um, keep those keep that variation small, keep the the variation within tolerances. Um, and I, I think it's those producers that are able to put everything together and, and manage uh, uh, all the different areas that need to be taken care of every day with with a defined system 
Uh, they, they're not letting things fall through the cracks. They, they take care of problems when they arise. So I, I think that's the, you, you can see it all, all around the world and you can see farms that, that have it and farms that don't have it. So I think, you know, uh, unlike us, that like variety, keep, keep the cow bored and consistent, right? <laughs> same, same exact thing every day. And they love consistency. So Jim, it's a, it's been a real pleasure to have uh, you here today, uh, uh, Friday. Uh, so uh, obviously these will get released at a various uh, point in time, but enjoy the, enjoy the weekend as, as spring is coming and uh, lots of our uh, colder climate areas are finally getting to enjoy uh, the spring-like weather. Um, I'd say to our listeners, um, most of you are probably familiar with, with Dr. Drakeley's work, um, but if you aren't, you know, certainly uh, just just Google the, the name and, and, and some key words and you'll come up with a plethora of, of great reading and, and, and practical recommendations. And again, I think that's the, the, the take home here is as we do these podcasts is that, you know, what, what can you actually maybe do today or tomorrow uh, to, to make a difference uh, on the dairy for either your own dairy or, or your dairy clients and customers that you're working with? Um, so with, with that, Jim, uh, again, thanks for taking the time today. And certainly we'll, we'll probably uh, have you back again because your, your continued research obviously is going to highlight some, uh, some newer recommendations uh, in the near future. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Take care.